We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. This is the second part of the Roadshow event from the First Draft Bar in Chicago last month. Dan Abrams and myself were joined by a number of coaches in attendance and then a panel of Tony Strudwick, Arna Friedrich and Todd Bean. Really, really good night. Arna is on this episode. He's a former German defender, 82 caps, two World Cups, one Euros, also coached the German under-18s. You're going to love his insight here, not just in football, but in life as well. This podcast is brought to you by Sports Lab 360, a new and innovative online program focused on youth development from a tactical and soccer IQ perspective. If you haven't come across their program yet, I would highly recommend checking it out. It's perfect for any coaches looking to go the extra mile to enhance the developmental experience for their players. More to come at the halfway point with an exclusive MSC podcast offer. Love to know your thoughts on this. At Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Here's Arna and Dan. Enjoy. 82 caps for Germany. World Cup 2006, World Cup 2010, Euros 2008, Bundesliga legend, but has said his best experience in soccer was with the Chicago Fire. Stand by. First of all, hi, <laughs> I just flew in yesterday, I'm a little tired, but it's okay. Um, obviously the best time, um, I was not lying, I had here in Chicago, it was not just because of the soccer, I have to admit that, so your city is the best, honestly, so I love America, but Chicago is outstanding. And um, yeah, it was great. I had great experiences here. And uh, it was just, unfortunately, just for one and a half years until I had to retire because of my slip disc. But it was great. Brilliant. Well, welcome. We're, we're delighted to have you here. I listened to it, done a bit of research without knowing German. It was pretty limited to two YouTube videos. But one of them you talked about the criticism you faced after the opening game of the 2006 World Cup. How did you deal with that? And now you became a coach. Has that impacted how you deal with players who have bad games? Actually, that was my, my first bad experiences in soccer because, uh, as you can imagine, the home opener in Germany against Costa Rica, I think around the world, uh, one billion people watch the game, so you better play well. Um, obviously, it didn't really work out for me that well. So um, Jürgen Klinsmann, our coach back in the day, he said, you know, we had a mixed up new team and, uh, you know, the back four, I was playing at the, as a right defender. He said, okay, guys, we don't play offside because we are new, you know, we don't play offside. So Costa Rica, um, without any offense, is not the best team in the world. So we should have not given away two goals. And uh, the reason why we gave away two goals was because I kind of didn't play offside and the other three, they played offside. So I was the, the last in the, in the line and... Uh, Obviously, that caused two goals, and um, yeah, now I can I can say it like in a nice way, but it was definitely big pressure. If so many people watch the game, and you know the whole media around the world writes you down, and uh, okay, this guy he doesn't deserve to be on the field, 
and it was kind of tough. And uh, but at that time already, I had very good people um, around me, so good mentors who helped me through that. They said, okay, in media, everything is just like for two or three days because in soccer, everything changes so quickly. The next game is right up, and it's same in in World Cup. So we played every four days, and you can make it up next game. And uh, even if it, if, if it was not my mistake. Um, everybody blamed me and it's okay it was a very good good lesson because from that day on I never feared media anymore because I thought it can get worse and uh, yeah it was very good teaching and uh, to come back to your your question as a coach obviously you know your players hopefully because I'm always a friend of like building up relationships trust uh, you have to get to know your players and if you know your players obviously you know how to deal with them some players are more sensitive than others and uh, some players deal with setbacks a little better than others. And, uh, you know, especially the sensitive players, you definitely have to take care of a little bit more. And uh, the bad boys in the team, you can kick sometimes in the butt. And so you always have to, have to yeah, be curious how your, your players are and you really have to take care of your players. Bring you into this, Dan. As a coach, we've all been there and, and I've even struggled for this as a coach. You know, you want to give that player... You don't want to attack them, but what helpful things can coaches do for a player who's had a shocker of a game? What, what, I mean, if you want to go back to your things about those coaches that helped you, what specific things? Sometimes, um, sometimes talking is not the best idea. So especially, so if somebody grieves or if somebody loses somebody, the best thing you could do is just like spend time with them, don't say anything and just let him grieve. Uh, it doesn't really help to say, oh, it was a good game, it was not your mistake, blah, blah, blah. Okay, it's uh, bullshit, nobody, nobody listens to that. <laughs> so it's more, sometimes it just helps, give him a hug, you know, just give him a hug, just don't say anything. And this is what I usually do. So if I see people that are kind of suffering or whatever, just be there for them, give them a hug and uh, let them feel valued and that's it, but don't say too many things. Yeah, I... I, I wouldn't disagree I suppose I, I just think it's about helping a player start to if you give them some time to sort of mentally recover it's about helping that player start to look forward and that sounds a pretty obvious thing but just get excited about the next week you know what does the next week look like for you great coaching is directing players focus of attention whether you're on the grass or off the grass and I think that Arnold's completely correct I mean he'd know far better than me that you know, the last thing a player wants to hear is, oh, you know, it was okay. Because, you know, as you're kind of saying, players have a, a great uh, bullshit detection radar type thing. So that's quite great. But I do think from a practical perspective, it's about, right, what can I now do to help my player direct their focus of attention um, in a practical way? So just maybe if a player is really, really ruminating, constantly reflecting on mistakes you know if it happened on a Saturday and you get to Tuesday and it's still in this player's mind then really sit down with that player or have a conversation with that player and start talking about what objectives you could set together for Wednesday night's training or Thursday night's training you know what can what can absorb their attention and start to forget about what happened at the weekend so that's the kind of practical thing I think somebody can... And I think there's one more thing that you can always do. So I think it is all about reflection in life. Obviously, we're talking about soccer. Soccer is a big thing. Basketball, whatever, sports is big. But honestly, there are more important things. And this is what I learned in life too. 
So in 2008, uh, so I had a pretty decent career. Everything was fantastic. You know, my, my private life was perfect, and in Germany everything ran through. But so I was I was lacking something. I didn't know what it was actually. But it's you know sometimes every day we should wake up and be happy. And it's not just like a saying or a quote or whatever. It's like you know there there are people in hospitals suffering. So I have a foundation, and I know what I'm talking about. So I go visit sick children, for instance. So we are still talking about soccer or even you guys whatever you're doing in life it is it is bad but it's not that bad so there's definitely worse things in life than than making mistakes on the soccer field and if you reflect on that bringing things into perspective then it helps too I, th I think it's really interesting we're talking about this because I spoke about this today in my presentation I think in sport again we're so socialized into um, extreme language and rigid language and musts and awfulizing we really do awfulize things within sport. By awfulize, I mean, I had a, it was a disastrous game. I was terrible, it's the end of the world. And we kind of feel in sport that we have to feel that way because that's being highly motivated and we have to be devastated after a loss. But the problem with that is that creates a lot of stress. It, 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 it damages our well-being. And it, and it takes us into a, a place that's actually quite difficult to come back from, where we can't be very mentally nimble. So actually not, you know, creating a culture as a coach where there aren't the, the we must win. We want to win, but it's not a case of we must win. And it's disappointing if we lose, but it's not the end of the world. And it's giving ourselves permission to think that way and have that kind of culture. And that feels so alien in sport because sport can be so extreme, can't it? It really can. So it's just, whoa, turn down the volume of emotion. Yes, yeah, st staying on the emotional side of sport in a tournament like the World Cup, I imagine there's a thin line between pressure and excitement. When you have a manager like Klinsman in 2006 who wore his emotions on his sleeve, do you remember that helping you or was that harmful to your performance? So Jürgen Klinsmann, he was definitely special when it comes up to showing emotions. And uh, so he was very good in, in, you know, helping us going on the field. And I, I would rather have somebody who is like very excited about something. It's the same as, you know, in private life, you would rather hang out with like positive people, inspiring people than kind of people that always drag you down or whatever. So he did a good job on that. But so when you talk about pressure and, you know, so my first tournament in 2006, so my first World Cup, it was more like, I saw it more like pressure because I didn't know anything, I didn't make any experiences when it comes up to World Cups. I played a European Championship before, but not a World Cup. World Cup is something different. So I was more concerned not making mistakes rather than enjoying the process. For instance, in 2010, so I knew already how it works, I was way more able to enjoy the tournament and in the end, it, it's a different outcome. So actually, we ended up third again, but it's more like how I perceived it. So I was really able to enjoy the whole process and before it was more about okay avoiding to make mistakes yeah man city against liverpool lee dixon is on tv over here he says they're saying oh I, I, you know I, I feel the nerves that when i played and he was like i was dying to get the game over with and then i could enjoy it is, is that a healthy way for a player to feel uh, no, i don't i personally i don't think i mean clearly lee dixon played at quite a high level right but no, I, I, I don't think so. I think enjoyment is very, very important. I, I think that um, 
I think trying to get the game over, you know, you're playing with fear rather than with freedom. Um, Arna used the word there, process. I just think the more you can help players get away from uh, the notion of we've got to win, we're trying to win, and more into the process, the mindset process of what can I control, what are my responsibilities, um, keeping great body language, great self-talk, those kind of things that I can control, I think that that's a really healthy place to be. Um, I mean, I want to ask Arna a question here because we're talking about pressure. There's a German word, and I'm going to try and speak some German here. It's only one word, so I'll probably still fail. Um, there's this word, Nerfenstalker. Right. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Nervenstärker, yes. Nervenstärker, well, yeah. Uh, and um, that means strength of nerves, right? And uh, I know you know that means strength of nerves, but I was just saying that to Gary. So that means strength of, strength of nerves. And I wrote a chapter on that in one of my books, available on Amazon. And um, it, it's, it's something that feels to the, to the world looking from the outside in that... You got ger German, German, German players are kind of born with that. It feels that way. You know, when you've been on the end of losing every penalty shootout to Germany, you guys never lose penalty, penalty shootouts. You know, what is that? Is that, it, is it, what is this German mentality, this coolness, this calmness, this strength of nerves? Yeah, I think the people in Britain, they really don't like it because it's other way around, actually. So they usually don't really like playing pen or having penalties. In Germany, it's actually weird. So I think it's all mindset. So because, you know, it's same in, in, in Germany, the, the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich, they have obviously the best players, but there are other teams also with very, very good players. But in the end, there's a saying, mir son mir. So it means like, okay, we are who we are and we know that we are winning in the end. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. And I think it's all about mindset. If you step up to, to, to shoot like a penalty kick and you know already and you are confident that you, that you score, it's, it's different. And if the opponent knows already, it's same in boxing. You know, it's like when you step up to Mike Tyson, for instance, obviously he's, he's a beast, but also like, okay, you know, he's, he's probably gonna, gonna kick the shit out of me actually, but it's the same in, in penalty kicks. And uh, I think it's all about mindset in the end. You can practice that obviously. So as better you get prepared before, like a competition or whatever, as more it helps. You said something about controllable situations and uncontrollable, and I can control how I prepare myself. I can control how many free kicks I take in practice. Cristiano Ronaldo, for instance, he's the, the hardest working, working guy on the field, actually. He's always like practicing his, uh, his free kicks, for instance, and he knows that he can perform on the field, too. So it's about preparation, it's about mindset, okay, I know we're doing that well, and maybe they're a little scared of us, so it always helps. Mindset is the biggest point. It's really interesting you say that, because there's a really... I saw a clip um, over the summer, obviously during the World Cup, and Roy Hodgson was talking about penalty kicks. And he said this, he said, the problem with penalty kicks is it's such a lottery. You know, it's, it's a lottery. What he's suggesting is there's a lot of luck involved. And you just think, and I'm not... You know, Roy Hodgson is a wonderful manager, but you just wonder when you've got that kind of narrative that it's an it's 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 luck, it's a, it's a lottery. Then of course your mindset isn't going to be great. Of course you're not going to look forward to penalties. Of course you give yourself an opportunity to fold. Whereas with what you're saying, that kind of German mentality of we, we can control this. 
for me, the narrative uh, with the German penalty takers is, you know, we're going to score this. We're looking forward to this. This is our platform to succeed. And that's also very interesting that you said, okay, we are looking forward to this. So we know, okay, we are really happy to do that, actually. So that's a different uh, uh, scenario instead of, okay, now we have to go like in penalties with Germany. That's obviously completely different. So I think mindset is a really, really big thing. And I think that changed a lot over the summer. I mean, Tony might know better than me, but I, my understanding is that, that the staff around the players helped change that narrative. Obviously, there was the england Colombia um, penalty kicks. And it was very much, we're looking forward to this. We want to be successful here. You know, this is, uh, this is within our control. If you go back then to you under 14, under 16 academies, how much exposure was there about that mental side of the game? Or was it just assumed that that's how players acted, professional players? No, I think there's definitely, um, you know, they definitely take care of psychologists' uh, matters. But I think there's, there's always a difference to say, okay, you, know, you need to know how to deal with situations on the field, but also there's one thing that I think is going to be a little bit neglected in Germany. I don't know how it runs here in Germany. It's uh, more the emotional health. So I think, so if you, if you consider many soccer players in Germany after their career, they are bankruptcy, they are divorced, whatever. So they are stars for quite some time, but they don't really know how to handle their lives. Obviously, if you make so much money, they think they can spend it like throughout the, their, their whole life or what kind of people, people do I surround myself with. So relationships is also a very important thing in life and I really try to put focus on that uh, when I try to help kids or, or players or even coaches. Make sure what kind of people do you surround yourself with. Uh, so do they drag you down? Is it positive people, negative people? They are also people that always want a chunk of your cake or whatever. So they, they try to, to use you somehow and I think this is something in Germany, they have to put more emphasis on like the emotional health. How do I deal with uh, certain things besides soccer? How, I, how do I deal with my wife or my spouse? Because in soccer, I know that it's all about you as a player. And sometimes it's very hard for your spouse. And uh, we had the same problems with my, with my girl. It was all about me. Even when I, when I came to see their, or her parents, they said hi to me first. Hey, how was the game? Whatever. It's not about their daughter or whatever. So emotional health is very important and there are so many things you can, you can take, her, take, uh, take care of actually, but it's going to be a little bit neglected in Germany. When you reflect back on the coaches you had growing up, uh, it's a double question to relate it to what you were saying. How did those coaches help you from a psychological and an emotional point of view? And you know, when you reflect back on the best coach you had, you know, who was that? What did, what did that coach do that was so good? What, what makes a great coach to you? I think 20 years ago, or I don't know, now I'm 39, or even more, 25 years ago, I don't know if ever, ever, anybody was talking about psychology already, at least not in the, in the small village where, where I grew up. I've never heard about that word until then, so I, I don't know what it is. Um, so back in the days, it was a different process, actually. Today, it's more professional. Um, you have more people helping you. I think I was just like happy to, to have a good family, like uh, a healthy family that helped me throughout my life to make good decisions. Decision making is a very, very important thing too. And I think coaches, I'm a friend of Jurgen Klopp, for instance, um, so he knows how to deal with players. And as you see him on television, he's very close to his players. He knows how to deal with the players. And I, I said it earlier, you have to get to know your players before you really 
can help them. And uh, you know, some players you have to give a hug, some players you have to be a little bit more harsh with. And uh, Jürgen, Kl uh, Jürgen Klopp, he's a, he's, a, he's a coach who's doing that, I think, the best in the world. I've got a question about Jürgen Klopp. Did you play under Jürgen Klopp? No, I just know players you know who play and I know his agent too. Okay. So, uh, you I might... played against him. So You, you played yeah. against him. So <laughs> he's a big man, right? He's kind of tall, yeah. He's huge. And always funny. I'm sure, but he's huge. Now, when I was working with Derby County, we played Liverpool in the Carabao Cup third round. And Jürgen Klopp, so when the teams were warming up, Jürgen Klopp walked out onto the centre circle and he stood on the centre circle and just faced the Derby County players warming up. So they were doing a keep ball or whatever they were doing. And he just stood there. He literally stood there like hands on hips like that. All six foot ten of him. And, and the players, the players after when the match was over and they'd lost 3-0, um, they said, did you see that? Did you see what he was doing? What was he doing there? Dan, you're the psychologist. What was he trying to do? Was he trying to outpsych us? And I was like, well, if he was, it clearly worked. <laughs> so what's that all about? What's Jurgen Klopp doing there? Have you got any idea? What do you mean? What would he do? He stands on the center every oh, match. I, I, he don't know. I think now, now he's, he's way more composed. He drinks coffee maybe inside the cabin. So he, he, I, I think so. And everything runs well, so he, he doesn't do anything. He's impressive. Yes, definitely. And he's, he's always very positive too. Obviously, he has emotions. Sometimes he shows emotions uh, on the field. And, uh, but I think also one of his strengths is he can laugh about himself. So I don't know if you, if you remember when, when he uh, went to, to the uh, EPL. And okay, this is okay, the special one. This is uh, Mourinho. Who are you? Yeah, I'm the normal one. So he's kind of, he knows how to laugh about himself. He doesn't take himself too seriously and I think that's pretty important too. He's um, a massive personality as you say. How important do you think it is these days for whether it's coaches, head coaches or managers, to, especially managers to have that kind of charisma, especially with the modern day player? You know, uh, he's, he engages, he, it strikes me that I've worked with a couple of Liverpool players but it strikes me he really engages players. So how important do you think that is? I think if you want long-term success, that's definitely something you need. Obviously, there are different leadership styles, transactional leadership style, for instance, or my former coach, Felix Magad, I don't know if, if somebody knows him. He's like the toughest army guy on planet Earth, and he works with like fear-based uh, motivation. So it's all about, okay, he's the guy who rules everything, who governs everything, and, and he's also the manager and he said okay if you want to complain about the coach you have to go to the manager the problem is he's the manager too so what what can you do so he doesn't allow any questions so it's all about you have to to just uh, execute and um, if you if you win he's kind of happy with you if you lose he's gonna punish you that's how it works and short term it might it might work but uh, after a while I think it can be a problem too because in Wolfsburg when I had him as a coach after a year or so, so some groups gathered up and you know they didn't want to listen anymore. They said, okay, if we gather up, we, we become stronger than him. So it's kind of a risk too. And if you really work on relationships and you build up trust and invite players, because honestly, this is also something as a professional, you're at least almost at least 18 years old. So you're grown up, at least you're an adult. So you can't treat them like, like kids and say, okay, do this or 
take this vitamin pill or whatever, and if you ask, okay, what is it for? I, why, why do you question me? Go run. So this is how he, how he worked that out, and I think long-term, it's not going to work. Just take a short break to remind anyone listening to set aside a few minutes of your day to check out Sports Lab 360, a new online program focused on player development from game understanding and soccer IQ perspective. The program empowers you as a coach to control the tactical development of your players outside time spent on the field. You can use the platform to assign soccer homework to your players, selecting modules that coincide with the tactical focus of training. Players work through the module that you assign, they see game film examples, engage with animated interactive lessons, and then take a quiz at the end to check for understanding. It helps you identify potential areas of development on a team and player basis while optimizing the limited time you have on the field with your players. Sports Lab 360 are excited to offer MSC listeners 15% off club or team subscription with the code Roadshow Promo One. Again, highly recommend checking out their stuff. It's easy to use and very practical with real and tangible results. Back to the Roadshow. We've talked about culture at Manchester United before. We've talked about German culture you've experienced and you've obviously had a positive experience of US soccer culture but we sometimes talk over here about we wish it was this and we wish it was that and what can we learn from every other culture what was so special about the culture here what what are you what did you take from US culture that you brought into your coaching I think the Americans in general are the most inspiring people so in Germany if you know something you don't share it so you just keep it for yourself don't smile look grumpy and uh, you know pretend to not talk to anybody that's typical german actually and this is something that i learned be open you know the media criticized me in germany you know oh he never says anything he's never sharing anything and i don't know blah 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 and then i played here in chicago i went to to california so i have a place in los angeles i became more like the surfing guy and you know i know i really like to share experiences i i like to talk to people um, I like the inspiration here, you know, just like think outside the box and just like do things that you, you have never done before. This is what I like to do now and this is what I learned here in America. Be open, be inspirational, share your wisdom, which is pretty nice. And um, obviously, I really like the refills. We don't have refills in Germany, so if you, if you order coffee, you have to pay all the time. And today, you know, I even had like I ordered a sparkling water and they didn't even charge me for that. That's amazing. God bless America, and uh, I hope it stays like that. My last question, your best ever game for Germany. I've Googled this, I haven't watched all your games. Against Cristiano Ronaldo, you man-marked him out of the game. Your preparation to that, how do you prepare against a player like Ronaldo in his prime? And then how do you, the process of minute by minute playing against him, how did that go? I think when I played against Cristiano, it was in 2008, the European Championship. Um, yeah, there was pressure actually, so I knew that, that I have to mark him next day, so I didn't really sleep that good. But I really tried to focus, and uh, Dan, we, we, I come back what you said, it's about preparation. Okay, first of all, did you do your homework? Did you pre prepare best or best possible? I did. So some things you can't really control. If he has an outstanding game, I can't do anything, honestly. So I try to defend my best or as, as good as I can. And if it works out, it works out. And I also have some teammates who can help me. So for instance, 
We played the, the um, World Cup game in the quarterfinals against Argentina in 2010. Actually, the, that was the first and my last game that I scored a goal in the national team. It was amazing, amazing feeling. I scored one more goal than Messi because he didn't score at all. It was, it was pretty good. And I also had to play against him, but I had, I had good teammates. So I, as you know, one person, you, you can't defend Messi. When it, when it comes one-on-one, -on -one, nobody can defend him. But if, we have, if you have a good group of people, if you have like very close spaces, very narrow, then you can, you can help each other. And it was the same against Portugal. You need help. You can't do it by yourself. But um, so coming back to your question, prepare yourself best possible. Enjoy it. So because you, you don't really have that many opportunities to play against Ronaldo or Messi or whatever. And even if he's better than you, everybody knows it's Cristiano. You're, nobody's going to blame you. Just uh, on that, just returning back to, because the psychologist in me is like listening to what you're saying, and I'm thinking, so when you prepared to play Ronaldo, in your mind you slightly rationalized, you know, it's Ronaldo, if he has a really good game, he might get a better than me, of me, and that's okay. Would you have that rationalization every week against every player? Would you kind of say, you know, at the end of the day, I'm playing against good people. If that winger or striker or whoever has a really good game, there's only so much I can do. Would you, would you be thinking that? I think it changed after the game because um, I took him out and I said, okay, who is Ronaldo? So it's, it's, now it's me, right? So they have to prepare on me, so even as a defender. No, I'm not kidding. So it's, like, it's really like that. If you, if you play well against Ronaldo or whatever, so who cares? So I'm, I'm on, right? And um, yeah, it's all about experiences. In life, everything is about experiences. We all fear any, something, and the fear you fear the things that you don't know about, right? So if you, if you go through new situations, you don't know the outcome, whatever, then you're a little fearful. But if you make experiences, and you even go through tough situations, this helps a lot. So actually, in my career, or like even in life, I learned the most when I, when I struggled. Because then you know, okay, first of all, okay, what can you do better? And I come back to perspective in the end, you know, it doesn't matter what happens on the soccer field. Like, guys, I'm, I wake up every day, I'm grateful, I'm healthy, I, I, can, I can play sports, I have friends and I have good people around me, so that's the most important to me, actually. I like that rationalization. Before we put it to the floor, I think you've just defined Nerf and Sturker for me, which is, you might be Ronaldo, but I'm Arna. Oh, it's just great. It's awesome. There you go. There you go. Great. Brilliant. Brilliant. Questions, questions. So you're quite driven through your career. How much do coaches help keep you driven or was it all self? That's a very good question, actually. So um, if you have a fear-based coach, he keeps you motivated, right? So if you don't execute well, then he's going to punish you. But I think it's more about inspirational people. You know, sometimes you have good coaches and sometimes you have bad coaches. So for instance, if you're same, you get born into a family, you can't really ch choose what kind of family you have, but you can choose what kind of people you surround yourself. So even if you have a bad coach who doesn't inspire you, find people that inspire you, find role models. Even today, you know, with YouTube and all this stuff, you can find role models everywhere. For instance, I have a very, you know, does anybody know Nick Santo Nastoso? Nick Santo Nastoso? 
He's, a, he's an American guy. He was born without limbs. So he just has one arm and one finger. And he's living life like hell, you know? He's enjoying life and he's so inspirational. So, and this is something that I want to tell you. If you, if you have negative people or people that don't inspire you, find people that inspire you. It doesn't have to be your coach. It can be your, your, your spouse, it can be your husband, it can be friends or whatever. And that's the most important. The most important is you need positive vibes. You need positive energy, people you can look up to. Or, I don't know, Steve Nash, I admire Steve Nash. He's a friend of mine too. And when, when I meet him, he's so humble. He accomplished so many things and I look up to him and I ask questions. I even, before we played soccer for the first time, I ask him, hey, can I, can I sit down with you, have coffee? Yeah, sure, come over. So I ask him all kinds of questions. So how do you deal with certain things? It's about being open for new ideas and um, yeah, surround yourself with good people. I've just got a little answer for that, just my opinion. Um, I like the idea of ideas. I think motivation, we see it very one-dimensionally and it's actually multi-dimensional. Ideas are important, enjoyment is important, meaning is important. But I actually see things slightly different maybe in terms of I think the future coach uh, doesn't necessarily motivate players. Uh, the future coach will help players motivate themselves. And there's a subtle difference there. And that's that autonomy supportive coaching. So I see it slightly differently. Anyone else? Yeah? So what's the secret behind so many young coaches in the Bundesliga? Yeah, obviously in Bundesliga it's all about pressure. Um, you have to win, you need results. It's the same, you know, as a... The organization always tells you what kind of goals you have or what kind of goals you have to perceive. So as a youth coach, so I work for the under 18th national team as an assistant coach. Our primary goal was like to build players for, for the first man's team, right? So it was not all about results. It was about giving players practice, letting, let them make mistakes. In Bundesliga, you, you might have one year as a coach. So I think the average time as a coach in Bundesliga is two years maximum. That's not that much, right? So you need to, to, to uh, have results. You have good results. It's all about pressure. You have to play the, the players that help you the most. And in youth, it's more about develop, uh, developing players. You can, you, it's your responsibility to develop players on the field and off the field too. As a professional coach, obviously you can help them off the field too, but they are kind of resistant sometimes because they're grown up already and you know, they might know what they're doing. But um, so I would, I would just like put in two categories. It's like developing and helping young kids to develop, letting them make two mistakes. And as a professional coach, you don't have time. It's all about pressure. You need results. Yep. I'd like to link the two questions. So uh, you talked about uh, coaches motivating players to motivate themselves. Um, how would you do that method? Your perceived best method. And then, do you do you think you get more from coaches motivating you or the self motivation? And how would you self motivate? I agree with Dan. If you're a good coach, then you help them motivate themselves. But there are not that many. So obviously there are good coaches, but not everybody's a good coach. So in the end, if I would like to motivate a player, it's all about showing, you know, you need a vision. You know, you need to let them know, okay, in soccer, this is what you can accomplish. You have talent, but you have to work hard to, to accomplish your things. But vision yourself, you know, in seven or eight years from now, 
what kind of life can you lead if you if you perform to your best actually I have seen so many talented players that didn't make it they were more talented than I was like my older brother for instance but he didn't make it in the end because he, he thought about kind of wasting his time you know it's like going out drinking every day and whatever it's like it's so sad to see and it's, it's about okay showing what kind of opportunity you have and also like I think in the end, it's it's always about relationships, you know. It's like, um, yeah, Dan, I don't know how how you see that, but I also see a difference between motivation and discipline. Motivation is an is an emotion; it comes and goes. And I I like discipline because I have to work out even if I'm not motivated. So if you only work out or practice if you're motivated, then probably you you work out twice a week. It's not about that. If you want to accomplish something, you need discipline. And I don't know if you guys know Jocko Willink, he's, he's an ex-Navy SEAL. I like this guy a lot, actually. I read his book, uh, his latest book, The Dichotomy of, of Leadership. Actually, I, I take so many advice from him, too. He's just freaking amazing. He's, he's the guy, and you know, he doesn't care. He wakes up every morning at 4.30 a.m. At least he tells it. I don't know, I'm not with him. But at least it's a, it's a good imagination. But it's about discipline, right? So if you want to come to something, put work in. It's not about motivation, because it comes and goes. Um, to, to answer that, um, when you strip away the emotion, basically, mo motivation is high, it's a personality thing, it's high conscientiousness. So it, it's doing the things you know you've got to do even when you don't feel like it. Even when you're feeling slightly neurotic, a lot of negative thoughts, you just do it. To answer your question about how you do that, I can only answer that by redefining motivation because I think we get the notion of motivation wrong and it was, like I said a few minutes ago, intrinsic motivation is three things really. It's, it's meaning and mastery, it's interest and it's enjoyment. And you've got to be able to help players tap that. And a prime example of that, so let's take mastery, okay, or meaning. I was on the side of a pitch uh, watching uh, uh, an activity a couple of weeks ago and it was a fairly good team, high level team and there was a, a keep ball going on, yellow bibs versus blue bibs, some fairly high profile players and the yellow bibs won this keep ball game, it was like a, a, a one four minute rep and they won it like 7-0 and the coach dived in and gave his coaching points. And it was just, to me, there were really good coaching points, awesome coaching points. I'm not an expert on football, but they were probably really good and right. But the coach missed the opportunity for, to help players experience motivation, leadership, and teamwork. For me, what that coach and my feedback to that coach was, you missed the opportunity to take one of those players and say, hey, John, that was not that player's name, but hey, John, I want you to take your team away. I want you've got one minute to brainstorm some solutions here. You're seven nil down. Brainstorm. Come back. Tell everybody what you um, what you you what solution. We're going to then hold you accountable. I want to see it. Now, in that way, you're tapping into mastery. You're tapping into leadership. You're giving that player an opportunity to lead. You're creating conversation. You know, coaches for me, need to get better at creating 
fantastic conversations between players. They will have that conversation. Coaches need to be better non-directive coaches. They need to be better facilitators. That's how you create motivation. Because when players are engaged in the process of improvement, they're engaged in the process of mastery, then that taps into, that fuels motivation. That's so important. That's, that to me is, is how you do that. Arna, thanks so much. That was fantastic. Right. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. Right, thank you. Thanks so much to Arna for his time as insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. There goes the nice guys finish last argument anyway. <laughs> what an unbelievable insight into the type of character that it takes to get to that level. And, you know, I tried in the preparation of those questions and even during the, the discussion, I tried to shape that probably more into complexity, you know, tournament play, the intricacies of game after game, touchline behavior, the preparation for certain opponents like Ronaldo, and then the youth development phase, how difficult was that in the Bundesliga? And he just kept bringing it back to simplicity with his outlook on life and the perspective that he talked about and even you know, his non-profit work, his experiences, the people that he looks up to. I think there are quite a few things that we can take from the interview, but for me, it's being present and living in the moment. We have access to do so much as coaches and travel and see things. And, and I'm guilty of it so much where I go to these cities or I go to these places and I spend most of my time in my computer or in discussion with staff trying to figure out details that probably aren't going to matter one ounce to the performance of the players and sometimes it's a nice little reminder that you know you should take a look around you and on the subject of that just a quick story when Arna arrived at the first draft bar that night with his friend he sat and I saw him take a selfie in his seat and I, and I remember it because I thought I didn't think he was the selfie type and then the next morning I looked at his Instagram because I wanted to see if he if he gave us a plug on the selfie from a selfish point of view of course and it was actually a picture of Chicago sports teams I think it was a Bulls picture on the wall that he was taking a picture of and I thought that was really cool because it was almost a microcosm of Arna Friedrich that we met that night we're all fascinated and studying him and he's fascinated by the world around him that we take for granted and that he thinks is is amazing. So I just thought that was really cool. I also thought the input of Dan Abrams there was absolutely fantastic and it helped to make that interview really, really enjoyable. I was in charge of time and keeping quiet for the most part of that there, but I could listen to those two discuss those aspects of mindset and psychology all day long. So big thanks to Dan, driving the quality of that conversation for sure. So we'd love to know your thoughts as always, at Gary Kareen on Instagram, at Gary Kareen on Twitter. Please let me know what you think. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, Head on over to Coach Kernin on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.